My name is Keith Beavers, and I just got to get this off my chest because, I, I mean, I, I owned an Italian restaurant for like 10 years, but I just got to say it. It's been true forever. I don't like balsamic vinegar. So weird. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. Vine Pair Keith on Insta, and how are you doing? I'm very excited. For the next six episodes, we're gonna we're gonna be in France. We're gonna stick around in France, talk about some wine regions you may not know about, and if you know about them, I'll give you more information you want to know about them so I can give you more confidence in wine. I love it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Fleur de Mer Rosé, which means flower of the sea, because it's literally grown in Provence next to the Mediterranean, which is a sea. Think turquoise waters, crystalline mountains, salty breezes. Wait, are we talking about travel, wine, or both? Because all of that terroir contributes to the juicy notes of ripe strawberry, citrus, and wildflower aromas in this beautiful rosé. To experience Fleur de Mer, Follow the link in the episode description to BarrelRoom.com. Okay, wine lovers, I'm I'm pretty stoked. We're about to dive back into France. We've talked about Burgundy, Champagne, and Bordeaux, and of course we can dive deeper into those, and we probably should in future episodes. But for the next six episodes, we're going to talk about other regions of France that you may or may not know about um, to help you explore more wines, because France has got all kinds of stuff going on, Not those, not just those three famous... Um, justifiably so famous wine regions. So let's get started. Today we're going to talk about a wine or wine region called Muscadet. This is a very interesting wine region in France. It's a wine region that, like other wine regions like um, Bordeaux, where you know Sauvignon Blanc made its way to Bordeaux from the Loire, this is a region all the way over on the Atlantic coast that makes wine from only one variety. And that variety comes from Burgundy. If you remember back to the Burgundy episode, we talked about geographic stuff and we talked about the central massif, that large, large piece of earth that has cre- that would cre- eventually create the Côte d'Or. Well, in that massif, there's a certain mountain range in the Ardèche department in southwestern France, in a mountain that I cannot pronounce, <laughs> Sévenay, Sévenise, at about four, over 4,000 feet in the air above sea level. This is where the Loire River begins, and it starts to head north. And it's, at some point, when it gets to Orléans, it heads west, and then from there, it goes to the Atlantic Ocean. So from that point, that curve, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, that is what's known as the Loire Valley. And right before the Loire Valley dumps into the Atlantic Ocean in a region called Anjou, just east of that is a very important city called Nantes. N-A-N-T-E-S. And the history is a little foggy, of course, but it's thought that the word Nantes is an old Gaulish word for river. Cool. Because the thing is, this area, like I said, it's right near the mouth of 
the Loire River into the Atlantic. And at this part of France, it splits off into all these different tributaries and channels. And at, before the 1920s, the city of Nantes was, a, was a, like a, a group of like 12 little islands with bridges and stuff like that. Eventually, they were filled in. But being this close to the Atlantic, of course, Nantes was a pretty important river town. And the culture here has always been very seafood heavy. Obviously, it's on a river going into the Atlantic. And the weather here is pretty, can be pretty severe. It can be rainy. It can be cold. How do grapes work here? Well, there's a story. We have to go back to Burgundy. And if you haven't listened to the Burgundy, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay episode, go ahead and give those a listen. Give you a nice little background of what we're about to talk about here. Because in those episodes, we talked about a point in history in the Burgundy area of France, which is, uh, it was once called Franche-Comte. Now it's called Bourgogne-Franche-Comte, which Comte just means county. So in this county where the Burgundians were doing their thing, where two varieties primarily, the Pinot Noir variety and a grape called Gouy Blanc, did some cross-pollinating and all these different grapes were born. Alagote, Chardonnay, and a little grape called Melon, M-E-L-O-N. Now, this little variety didn't have what Chardonnay had. It didn't have that malleability. It didn't produce the, the body and character of what a Chardonnay would produce. It would be what we would call today a neutral variety or a blending variety, a variety that produces good acidity and decent fruit that is best to be blended into wines to help it in a wine, whatever it's missing. And because of this, the fate of this variety was the same as Gamay in this region. And we'll get further into Gamay when we talk about Beaujolais coming up very soon. But if you've listened to the Burgundy episodes, you know that Gamay, there was, like I said before, there's an anti-Gamay campaign that's been going on in, in Burgundy for quite some time. It started with the royalty. And there actually were, you know, uh, authorities, royal authorities that would literally decree you cannot grow Gamay here. Well, this also happened to the Malone variety. And it eventually would leave Burgundy. And it would hit the Loire and start heading west. But as it heads west over the next century or two, it leaves a bit of a... I don't know, a fun, small little legacy over in the Burgundy region because there are places where the grape Chardonnay is still considered a Melon variety. In this area, like Burgundy into the east towards the Swiss border, you'll sometimes see Chardonnay called Melon d'Arbois or Melon d'Arlay. And it's kind of cool to see how the name Melon has endured for so long because the word Melon, melon, it, there's, there's, again, it doesn't really, nobody really knows, but there's a couple theories. One, that it's the, the roundness of the variety, which would mean all of them were that round, or there's a certain shape the leaf has, and that would call it melon. But then does Chardonnay have the same leaf? I don't know. But that's kind of where the melon comes from. So it makes sense that this variety starts moving its way west, because if it's not wanted there, humans are like, let's bring it other places to see if it's wanted. <laughs> and it's 
to this day, it's around, but it's primarily where it ended up. So almost 400 miles away from its home, it ends up towards the Atlantic in and around the town of Nantes. At the time, this is about the, in the 17th century, there were red and white varieties growing in and around this town city of Nantes. Also at that time, the Dutch trading company was in the area because, again, Nantes was a major river town. And the Dutch really liked to distill wine. It was easy to trade, it was easy to sell, easy to travel. So they actually, they didn't force it upon the people of this area, but they encouraged people to plant a neutral-ish white variety so that they may use it to distill. And that would behoove wine, vine growers because that's a lot of money. That's good money. So obviously people started planting more sort of white varieties, but there were still red varieties there. And then the winter of 1709 came and almost devastated this entire region with frost. And a lot of vines were destroyed because of it. And as a result of this, instead of replanting red varieties, the people of Nantes decided to plant only white varieties, specifically a variety called Melon de Bourgogne, the Melon grape we've been talking about. And the thing about this grape, it naturally it has a hardiness to cold weather. So it was kind of a perfect moment for them to start focusing on this variety. Something else traveled to Nantes with this variety, a word, a word that doesn't describe the grape. It doesn't describe a region. It describes an idea, a, a, an aroma, something that's prominent enough that the wine becomes that name. And the word muscadet is thought to be a testament to the wine's ability to have a somewhat musky aroma as it traveled from Burgundy to Nantes. So by the time it gets to Nantes, the grape is called Melon de Bourgogne, but the wines begin to become known as Muscadet. And eventually a wine region pops up and that wine region is called Muscadet. I just find that fascinating because usually in France, the appellation or AOC is named after the, a town, Champagne, or a region, Burgundy. But here we have a wine region named after a style of, or an aroma within the wine. And what's even more wild is th the wines from Melon de Bourgogne in, in, in Muscadet aren't very musky. <laughs> They're actually a little bit more, I don't know, they have a little more salinity, maybe some citrus. We'll get into that. But it's just some fascinating stuff. I don't know where the Muscadet, I wonder if it was like thought of a different variety while it was making its way over or something. I don't know. But that's how the Muscadet region came to be. And today, the Appalachian is located south and east of the town of Nantes. And it's situated around these two rivers that are tributaries of the Loire River, one called Sevre, S-E-V-R-E, and one called Maine. 
And this whole area with the rivers and being south and east of the large city of Nantes is a very fertile place. I mean, it has low-lying areas and some rolling hills, but it's very fertile. And there is a lot of vines in this area. And they are all Melon de Bourgogne. But here's the catcher. Here's the thing that's going to really kind of get you interested in what we're talking about here. Remember in the beginning of this episode, I said, how are grapes grown and how is wine made here? It's a pretty good question. We have a lean, considered neutral variety that is usually meant for blending, being the primary varietal in a region that's so close to the Atlantic and it rains and it's cold. How do these varieties produce and develop the fruit they need to make wine? Well, the answer is they don't often do that at all. <laughs> so the tradition in this area, this is so cool, the tradition in this region is to allow these wines to rest on the lees, the dead yeast cells that become lees, for a long time, long enough, so that that mysterious thing called autolysis happens, that's in the sparkling wine episode, how it's made, imparts some depth into these wines. And it's successful to the point that this procedure is now part of the rules of this region. Uh, that's incredible, right? The Muscadet appellation itself is a very general appellation where the Melon de Bourgogne variety is used to make wine. And sometimes, actually in the 90s, they allowed some Chardonnay in there. And it's not, doesn't see the lees. It's just simple, easy drinking, high acid white wine from the northern part of France. Within the Muscadet appellation, there are three sub appellations. And that's where things get very interesting. Two of them are small. One is very new, but one is the one we're going to see the majority of on the American market. You have Muscadet Côte du Grand Lou, which is a small appellation that was formed in 1994 around a very large lake. The lake is called Lac du Grand Lou, obviously. Makes sense. They were you know, named after each other. And there's only under 800 acres. It's only 10% of the output of this region. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of it on the American market. And if we do, it's going to be a pretty special idea, right? But idea? <laughs> special occasion. Then there's Muscadet Coteau de la Loire. About 40 producers here. They do have a little bit of red wine and rosé, but this is we're getting close to the area of southwest of Nantes where terroir starts to be a thing. And in this area they're starting to realize the terroir. This has been around, this, this particular one's been around since 1936. But just southeast of Nantes is the larger appellation that pumps out about 80% of all of the region that you're going to see all over the American market. It's called Muscadet Sèvres et Maine, which means it's the wine region that is at the two rivers. So it really is this place that has a lot of varying terroir, geography, therefore varying terroir. It's a place that has actually seven crews within it because terroir is being realized. It has over 600 producers of wine in it. 
and there's about 19,000 acres under vine to give you a sense of this stuff. But the 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 soil, we don't talk I don't talk a lot about the details of soil soil here, but I have to here because of the variance of it. You have chalky limestone soils and you have gravel and you have some clay. And depending on where these deposits are depends on where the crews are going to live. And this really only happened recently. In 2011, three crews were named in the area. And then in 2019, um, four more. So you have these seven crews, Clisson, Le Palais, Gorge, Chateau Thibault, Golain, Monnier saint fiac and Mazillon Tillier. I don't know if I pronounced those correctly, and I can't go into each and every one of them, but they're something to pay attention to because of the way wine is made here. And actually, there's talk of Muscadet, Coteau de la Loire at some point having its own crew as well. So the history here is that, that Lee's contact. And the thing about Lee's contact is tricky. Sometimes Lee's contact can lead to some off flavors in wine, but very neutral high acid whites like Milan de Bourgogne don't, don't have that. So the result is a wine with actual flavor. And also, and this is, I love this, a very small amount of CO2. It's when you're drinking these wines, they're so tangy and so salty and so good. And then they have this like little pop of fizziness somewhere inside the wine. It's not overwhelming and it's not aggressive. It's somewhere in there. You can feel it. That's just great, right? It's like, kind of like champagne where you have this place that is just cold and well, how do you do this? How do you make wine there? Well, they figured it out. They ended up making sparkling wine. Same thing here. They had this neutral variety that was intentionally put there um, or, 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 or expanded upon because the Dutch needed a product to distill from and they've turned it into a beautiful wine region. That's just so great. And here's how it's made across all the little appellations. The wine must sit on the lees between March and November in the year following the harvest. This is what's called in France, France. <laughs> well, in France, yeah. But in French, surly or on the lees, S-U-R-L-I-E-S. You're going to see that on the label when you're looking at Muscadet in the shop. And the result is this awesome wine region that has a grape from somewhere else that turned their wine into something amazing that it, it all kind of like, it was all very serendipitous because you have this very neutral variety, but you're adding depth and body and character to it, a little bit of fizziness through the autolysis process that's still mysterious to us in science through a white wine that's not a sparkling wine, yet it still has a little bit of CO2. And then even cooler than that is that these wines through this process naturally pair with the cuisine of the region. This wine for you on the American market is an incredible foil for seafood. Bivalves, you name it, halibut, bring it. Just muscadet and salty, briny fish or any kind of seafood is incredible. And that's amazing because the variety came from Burgundy. 
So that's my Muscadet crash course. I mean, you've probably seen the bottles there on the shelves, just didn't know what it is, and now you do. So go out there, try all the different kinds. I mean, there's, 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 there's a bunch of them out there. And uh, if you dig one, take a picture, put it on Instagram, and tag me at Vine Pear Keith. I'll see you guys next week. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wines. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.